Welcome to Fragmented, a software developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better developers. My name's Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. This episode of Fragmented is brought to you by AndroidJobs.io. On Android Jobs, you can post a job posting for free and also sign up to get weekly notification emails of new job postings. These job postings are worldwide, so any company around the world can post for free. However, I wanted to let you know about a couple of feature upgrades that we recently made to the site. Number one, you can now pay for a upgraded highlighted posts. And this will highlight your job post among all the other Android jobs that are out there. Number two, you can pay for a featured job posting that will highlight it as well as pin it to the top of the job board. Now, again, the free job postings are still available, so you can still post a job for free. But if you would like to kind of give it a little bit more flair, you can upgrade it as you'd like. Now, additionally, Every job posting on Android Jobs, including the free one, is now going to be a 90-day job posting. So please check it out when you have a chance. Sign up to get notified of new job postings. And thanks for listening and checking out the site. Again, that's androidjobs.io. Kaushik, you have sent me some interesting stuff recently that I would like to discuss with you today. Let's do it. I've been getting back to the fundamentals. So yeah, I am excited to chat with you about it. I actually did send it to you and thank you for reviewing the blog post too. So I appreciate that. feel honored to. Yeah, so um, I can, let's just kind of hop right into it. The You sent me a blog post about some Kotlin constructs. What, you know, and we're going to talk through, I think there's what, five of them here? Mm-hmm. We'll talk through these constructs here on the episode, but what was the catalyst to get you to write about these constructs? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but like, you know, Kotlin has been a language that has been evolving pretty fast, right? And there's, you know, there are times where I would know of something that was experimental, but, you know, I didn't necessarily keep track of, you know, at what stage that, you know, construct or that concept was. I noticed that, you know, if I didn't like actively follow it, sometimes, you know, I just didn't know if it was actually there or not, right? Until you pop up your ID and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that thing works. Or then you're like, wait, why doesn't this work? It's, oh, because it's experimental and it's still experimental. So that was like, I think one big impetus for me wanting to just like, hey, where are we with these sort of fundamental constructs, right? Yeah. And I think the second piece was like, you know, there's, one thing that I've found interesting, and this might be a kind of silly point, but with Kotlin, you can combine keywords and they start to mean different things, right? Like, for example, data classes and data objects are very different. You know, mm-hmm. so yes. slapping on the data qualifier, like that keyword, like changes what you know uh, happens to that object. You know, there's value classes now, right? Like, you know, there's type alias, there's import alias, like you know, there's you know, this fun interface, like, which is like, you know, uh, well, it's not functional interfaces, but whatever, like, you know, the the single abstract method that we're going to talk about. And I found myself also getting confused at times because like, you know, off the top of my head, it was hard for me. If someone said, hey, you can use a value class or you can use a data object or like, why not use a data class? It would take me a few minutes to actually pause and like try to understand, wait, what was that again? So is that actually like something we can use or is this from a different language? <laughs> so I 
basically want to just put that all put it all down in a blog post so that I a, it gives me clarity because like you know writing is one of the best ways of like sort of clarifying the concept for yourself but also it just makes it easy for me to go back and see okay wait where was that introduced I can just like quickly go look at that concept so a- anyway that was like the impetus behind why I wrote that blog post interesting so I would like to echo that that statement you said we're just writing it out kind of will help you understand the concept better than anything and that's that's what i have learned over the years so for anyone who's out there who's thinking about yeah i don't know if i want to blog or i don't you know this stuff's already available online just do it just go out and blog about it write about it what you'll learn is that you have to actually dive much deeper into the topic than you thought you would realize that you would have to and you're going to learn it probably 10 times as much more than you would have if you just kind of just kept it to yourself yeah and i remember in the early days like you you remember people would like say like oh i don't want to necessarily write about this because there's a whole bunch of blog posts and you know i think both of us have said the same thing in early episodes too like that shouldn't hinder people because everyone learns differently right like you know there is no single good blog post that will like explain a concept for everyone you know uh your mechanism of explaining it like you know i i I genuinely like your blog post because i can see obviously because we've been talking with each other a lot it resonates more quickly right so if i see the same blog post written by five people and you happen to be one of those people i'm going to pick your post because i'm like oh yeah i I know how this person thinks so it's easier and i can relate more easily and that's so valuable right and sometimes that may not work right like you know sometimes you know i've written a few blog posts about rx java there's like bajillion of them right i've had people come to me say like oh thank you this was the post that made it click for me and i've had people come back and say hey like you know thank you for writing it but i don't exactly understand like what you're saying this other blog post actually points it out better so you know it goes both ways so i think you're absolutely right it does this even goes for uh for, i know we're kind of going on divergence here but this it's important because the basics and everything are always going to matter and there's always going to be new people coming into the industry so if you're newer in the industry or there's something that you have a different way of thinking about it uh get up there and explain it could be in a presentation or in a blog post this really where this really like hit me up the side of the head like like a hammer um was i think it was 2016 or 17 i went to DroidCon nyc and kristen mariscano who we had on episode 76 um she was given a presentation on the activity life cycle and i saw that it was um in the main room and i'm like why is like a, a talk on the activity life cycle in the main room like not to discount like Kristen or anything like that it's just like i was like this is like a, a regular basic topic i'm surprised that there's that much interest in it and i'm like is this like should this be in a different room like it was just those are the thoughts going through my head and then finally when her talk came i'm like all right well let me go see what's going on maybe there's something i don't know about this that she's like really enlightened on and so i i walked into the main auditorium of jo- droidcon nyc which was a big auditorium and it was full standing room only and that's when I realized, I was like, oh, I'm like, this. these are the basics. People are still trying to grasp the basics. Even though this is something I've, at that time, had been dealing with for seven or eight years, there's always room to learn something new about the basics. So if you, if you need to uh, or want to talk about something that's around the basics, do it. People want to learn about it. So that kind of brings us full circle. Kaushik, why don't you take us into the first item here on your new Kotlin constructs that we were talking about? Yeah. So... Uh, uh, like you mentioned, there's five constructs, and the first one is the first one's actually interesting because, and that's the one I think I spent a lot of time on. It's 
uh, fun interface. So we all know what interfaces are, right? Uh, yeah. And I think like, you know, in the early days of the language, if you come from Java and you're like only looking at Kotlin as a one-to-one mapping from Java, you know what interfaces are, it works. But the interesting thing is you can slap on interface on a function, right? Okay, whoa, okay, that's crazy. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so this is, and, and the reason this is done is, and I went into this a little into the blog post, it, there, there was this, do you remember this time, like when we were in Java land, right? And mm-hmm. Android just did not go past, what was it, JDK 6 or something? I, I, I forget. Forever. We just, yeah, forever, right? And we just didn't have lambdas, right? And it was when RxJava was really picking up functional languages were the thing. And, you know, everyone was like, how do I treat functions as first-class citizens? JavaScript was like totally doing this, you know? And it was just very terse to do it. But basically, there was a workaround that came in, which is this concept of a single abstract method. And like uh, many people use this con- uh, this term called SAM, S-A-M, single mm-hmm. abstract method. So that's literally what it is. A function, like if literally you take a function, you slap the interface keyword on it, what happens is now you are allowed a single abstract method inside this fun interface. Mm -hmm. And this is hard to explain. Like, you know, again, we'll add the link to the blog post, but an abstract uh, function is basically one where you don't provide the implementation, right? So Mm -hmm. if you have a regular interface, a regular interface basically has a whole bunch of abstract functions, right? Like in Java land- You can have one to many, go, right? Yeah, yeah, you can have one to many, exactly. A fun interface is a little different where you can only have a single abstract function. Okay. I actually didn't go into this like in the blog post. So this is like bonus <laughs> for people listening. You can actually have more functions that are non-abstract in this, mm-hmm. which is like interesting, right? So that's like the piece that a lot of people may not necessarily immediately realize. Uh, you know, so fun interfaces, all that's needed is a single abstract method. You can throw in 10 more functions and add an implementation, and that's totally fine. But if you add a second abstract function, meaning like a, a second function without any implementation, then that's actually going to throw a compilation error. You're not going to be able to do that, right? So okay. the idea with why we have this concept at all is to emulate first class, like emulate functions as first class citizens as first-class citizens, right? And again, like we probably should talk about what that means. Like first-class citizens basically means you can take this thing and you can pass it around, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, you've obviously, like you're super experienced with JavaScript far more than me. So, you know, I don't know if you had like anything else to add, but basically the concept of passing around functions is super normal Mm -hmm. and it's pretty powerful too, right? Like, you know, JavaScript has been doing this forever and that was at least like one of the most powerful things with it in the early days, right? Yeah, you can start compo- really start composing some crazy stuff when you start passing around functions. I, get, I mean, it's, it's like a double-edged sword though. It's really powerful, but it can also get, you can create some really nasty spaghetti with it too. So you have to be, you have to be pretty careful with, with what you're doing, but it can be uh, very useful. It's just one of those things you kind of have to get in there and play with a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And the typical example, like, you know, the quintessential example that we used to use this SAM method all the time was for like, you know, the click listener, like, for example, if you take a click listener, you know, all you have is this on click listener, you know, uh, class or like functional interface. And then the on click method is the single abstract function, right? And then you can pass this click listener around 
and then you know add an implementation inside your onclick method right so you could say hey onclick i'm going to invoke this listener so you get a chance you provide me the implementation of what you want to do inside that onclick you know uh, and you know you can go crazy so in this way you're literally passing a function like you know the onclick listener is like i'm giving you a space to execute a bunch of code right so that's how you're passing that function and that's the entire objective of these sam methods or fun interfaces like you know function uh, functional interfaces that's the entire objective so i know this is what i was thinking when i read this i'm like wait a second what, what, what how is that different than function types and that's actually what you have inside of your blog post you have like you know kind of like a sub point of this is like function type so how does this differ than something like a function type or what is a function yeah, type yeah. first of all yeah that's a great question because like that's also one of the things that got me confused in the early days right where this becomes tricky is like you know before we jump into function types because of like you know the pre like as you mentioned like you know android took four i mean well it isn't just android but whatever like you know we were stuck in jdk 6 land so what happened is ide's like intellij got a little smarter right and then obviously you know there was like desugaring that was introduced uh, and desugaring is this mechanism where you could write lambdas but the compiler would get like a little smarter and then translate that into concepts like from jdk 7 or 8 like i think it was jdk 8 like you know that was the big one yeah. where like lambdas were introduced so you would write the api would be lambdas but internally it would just compile it down to what would look like jdk 6 kind of yeah uh, compiled code right so th- that actually caused in some way some confusion between function types and this because effectively it would look the same but underneath the hood the implementation was different right so we we haven't gotten to function types yet ide's got a little smarter and before you had the lambda syntax using that single abstract method implementation was a pain in the butt right and if you look at the blog post i i show like the before and like you know what it actually looks like with ide's which changes things cuz now it's like really clean it just looks like a lambda you have like you know very little sort of differentiation yep but where like function types come in is interesting right so with kotlin what happened kotlin was a newer language right so kotlin basically tried to bridge this gap where they're like look what are we doing we want functions to be first class citizens so they introduced the concept of function types right mm-hmm. and function types sounds confusing like you know when you compare it to like oh this function interfaces and function types but function types are like literally what the name says right like we have basic types like you know integers strings blah 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 objects and you know we call these types right if you want to make a function of first class citizen what you do is you basically define a function as a type like if you treat functions as a type themselves you know you basically make them first class citizens because then you can pass around types right you can pass around objects so in the same way you you can just pass around functions and so that's what function types are so conceptually it's very simple it's literally let's make these guys first class citizens and pass them around and define them as a type themselves and what kotlin did is kotlin actually provided a slightly different syntax to define types for functions so we know how to define regular types like you know just slap in like whatever your object name is integer string blah blah basic types right uh, for functions what kotlin did is like they introduced a syntax and this is the syntax that people probably see this all the time right like some folks probably don't even know that it's called function types and they're just using it anyway 
which is like, you know, how if you put uh, your type in parentheses and then you have a right pointing arrow and then you have another type. So like, for example, you could have, you know, uh, int in uh, parentheses or in brackets, have a right arrow and then have string. That basically says, okay, what I'm expecting now is a function that takes in an integer parameter and returns a string type. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So that's basically that. That is how that is how you define a function. Like you know, you take an in, a function has an input, it has an output. You need to define that as a type. That's basically what a function type is, right? And this is probably easier when you look at the code, but that is basically what a function type is. And where it gets interesting, because like you asked me, hey, so what's the difference between the two, right? That like the difference is function types aren't emulating anything, right? Like, you know, this is natively how you pass around functions. And uh, we won't get into necessarily the details. If folks are interested, you should actually see like what the compile down code looks like. But I would say function types there's pros and cons. And like, you know, I actually had an interesting Twitter conversation going on when I posted this where some people, so here's my two cents. Maybe I should start there and then, you know, you can like push back and say, I generally just prefer function types when possible. Like, you know, I, if I can use a function type, I just use it because personally, my preference is I actually do not like defining functional interfaces just because, hey, maybe it's like old habit, but I start like in my mind, I think about like the early Java days and I'm like, ah, it's yeah. clunky. I need to define, like, you know, it, it. there's less code that you have to write when you're using function types because there's no name, right? Like, if you think about function interfaces, when you define an interface, you have to actually, def like, you know, you have to, like, so let's take the onClick uh, listener example. You have to write fun interface onClick listener. So you do have to provide a name for this thing, for this function. Your function has a name. Then you open up curly braces and then you define the single abstract function or the single abstract like method, you know, the abstract method we talked about. Again, one more name. So you say, hey, fun on click view, right? So there's repetition and like there's pros and cons to this, right? So for some people, they actually like the explicit naming where they're like, okay, I want this thing to have a name and I want to like, the naming adds more detail, right? But it's subjective, right? Like, you know, there are situations where that helps and there's situations where they're like, it doesn't. Like in my mind, I almost think of functions like I just care about what's the input, what's the output. That's enough to tell me I don't even need a name for this thing, which I mean, you know, doesn't always play out. But like usually when you're using function types, it's associated with something else, right? Like so if you are defining your function type as a parameter, your function already has a name. So at least that's how I think, right? But it's subjective, right? I I, I feel it goes that way. Have you, do you have a preference? Like, how, what have you found in your usage? Do you find yourself using one versus the other, or how have you thought about this? It's a good question. I'm of the same opinion that you are. It feels very to type out the the function interface, uh, all that, you know, the curly braces, and then the actual function name itself that's going to be abstract. It just feels very Java-like, and I've been a, <laughs> I've been very vocal that Java is super archaic. And um, it gets a lot of heat, but I mean, Java works. I'm not, I'm not hitting on Java in that regard. It's, it runs a ton of the web and a ton of the stuff we use every day, but it just felt kind of archaic. Uh, so I do prefer function types as much as possible. And at first, when I first learned of them, the, the syntax was really confusing. And this actually goes back to a criticism that I have of the Kotlin documentation. I, in a, my personal opinion is, I don't feel the Kotlin documentation is that great. I think it's very confusing actually. 
to hard to decipher. Like you really, it's just so, I, what I do is I'll end up on a Kotlin documentation and I'll look at it and my hand is on my head. Like, what does this mean? And then I have to go Google it and I end up on a blog post like yours and someone explains it. I'm like, oh, now I get it. Um, and then I can go look at the documentation and it will kind of trigger that, you know, memory. But anyway, what I'm getting at here is when I first learned of the function types, they were confusing. But once I learned what they were, and the key for me was like you, I need to know what the input is. That's what's in the parentheses. Like, and you can have multiple inputs. You can have a string and an integer and, a, and an object. And then what's its return type? And if it's going to be void, then it's going to be you know unit. And if it's going to have a return type, it'll be whatever that return type is. Once I knew that, I was like, oh, this is just a function. I can just pass it these values and it will return or not return things that it's supposed to. So for me, function types 100% all the way. Right. So yeah, that 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 definitely translates to how I feel about it. Um, uh, Py, this uh, very popular developer who's you know friend of the show from Square, he actually uh, pointed out the same thing, which is like, hey, one additional advantage that uh, fun interfaces have is you can actually, in the IDE, you can command click to their definition and you can actually see the K docs there, like in the document. So that's, you know, again, it's, I think it's a subjective thing, which is like, it depends on the situation. And it's funny because in the early days when obviously, because JetBrains builds both the IDE and Kotlin, function types actually had was way more slick to use like in the IDE because like you know they would have like the parameter hinting and a lot of that stuff obviously i think now it applies to both but i, I could have sworn in the early days function types were sort of more uh, baked into the editor itself so it would like you know make it easy so either way i think that's yeah uh, you know i generally like you prefer to use function types when possible and like you know when you start to see that hey this is not working then you can always go and see functional interface or vice versa. Like, you know, either way. Agreed. And the thing in your blog post that I like that you did is that you, you talked about the function types, you recommend say, use them if possible. And then you went to the next point, which is number two, which I'm going to hop right into and fast forward to. And it was like the perfect segue into number two, which is type aliases. And you used the type alias to define a type alias with that function type. So I'll let you explain kind of what the type alias is and then kind of like what it's used for and then we can kind of tie these two together. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, So type aliases are interesting because again, type alias is this other concept that provides like a convenient alternative name for a type. And where this plays in is like, you know, the reason I, I pointed out type alias right after function types is because you know, with function types, like, you know, when we have a single input and output, like, yeah, things are great, right? Like, and I mean, obviously this applies to both function type and functional interfaces, like all is well there. But say you, like, you know, there are times where you have like three input parameters and then you have like, you know, an output that comes in. So when you define that function type, it'll basically be open bracket int strict comma string comma string close bracket, right arrow unit. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you're doing that once, that's okay. But if you use this type, like, you know, imagine you you declare like 10 strings, right? Like, you know, string objects. That's easy because like, you know, val string, val string, val string, yep. whatever, yep. right? You know, uh, with function types, if you have to type this entire giant thing, like you know, 10 times, it can get tedious, right? Yeah. So 
type alias is this really slick feature which basically says, you know what, I'm going, this whole type that we're talking about, like, you know, open parentheses, int, string, string, that returns like, you know, no value or unit or something. I can literally just type alias this guy to say my handler type or my ha handler function type, right? And thereafter, every time I declare, you know, a new variable for this type, I can just use the type alias. So it, it makes it far more, you know, elegant to write your code because you don't have to like tediously write this long possible function type, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. No, because it's like, if you're going to be, like you said, you're going to be using this all over and this could happen maybe if you're, if you're developing some type of API and you know that each, each one of these, maybe you want some type of callback mechanism inside of all of these different, you know, functions that you have that you're exposing an API and you want to use a function type for that. You're not going to want to repeat that over and over and over if the call signature is the same. So at that point, just alias it, and then it's easier to reference inside of your code. Yep, 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 yep. So yeah, and, and type alias is a feature that I'm guessing a lot of folks use, you know, and that's how I link it to the next item that I def, uh, defined, the third construct, because type aliases are so powerful where you can basically, you know, I, I gave the example of like, you know, with function types, you can like type alias them so to make it convenient. But there's nothing like preventing you from type aliasing like literally any other type, right? So you could, and I try to be a little cheeky about this. Like, you know, uh, do you know what spinners are, Don, in Android? <sighs> worst name in the world. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what they are. The worst name in the world. <laughs> uh, so one thing that like, you know, I, I, I did is like, you know, I type alias spinner to be something more convenient, like, you know, drop down view. Have so you I ever literally... like thought to yourself, like, I'm going to use like this, where's the spinner? Like who thought of that? I'm sorry. I'm going to remain here. <laughs> yeah. right, go ahead. Anyway, alias yeah. it. I'm like, that just one sends me off. I know. No, you know, I, I tried to be, Deep I tried breath. to be like <laughs> understanding and understand, like, and try to remember why exactly is it a spinner? And I, I've forgotten now why it's even called a spinner, but do you think it's because, do you remember in the super early days of Android when you had a date? Wow, that's a date picker, and that's like very different. That was iOS, where like you know you would roll it and you would spin that's the thing. iOS. Yeah, and also, but actually, that wasn't what that isn't what a spinner is. A spinner is literally just a drop down, right? Was it because like it's also it also uses an adapter and I don't know who who knows. Anyway, it's a terrible name, you know. But I'm sure like very smart people had good reasons calling it a spinner. I'm sure I remembered why it was called a spinner at one point but I have totally forgotten it. Um, <laughs> and the reason type alias is so wonderful is because you can just rename random API view declarations like spinner to something more meaningful like dropdown view, right? And you, I mean, you can do other things too. Like for example, I for the blog post, I was trying to remember, again, some inside uh, baseball here, but I forgot. Do you remember there was some API in Android where you know, the Android engineers just gave up and called it like two, right? Like camera two. Oh, wait, yes, camera two. Ah, <laughs> you used that, to work with it all the time at wedding party, and you're like, I, I hate know. This thing. Oh my god. I, <laughs> I know. It's like camera, camera two, like recycler, recycler two. I mean, I know it was recycler didn't have that, but it at that one point they just like <laughs> were like, up. yeah, we're just gonna throw in a two in the end, and this thing is so much better, you know. Uh, so. That's one like good oh, example. So good. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you could just type alias and like use something that just made more sense to you, <laughs> and then you know use that throughout like you, your. You know what they app. need to type alias? They need to type alias the Android SDK, the API level, and what they call it, just to the same thing. <laughs> but we'll save that for another episode. Yeah, that hey cupcake. Can I give you a cupcake and eclair? Right. Yeah. <laughs> what API is that? A SDK uh, level? What, what do you mean? Who, yeah, who knows? Like, you know. Oh, wait, do you mean target SDK or do you mean like compile SDK? You see, we're already having the problem. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, that's that's a, yeah, that's a separate rant episode, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. So, so that's a, I like how you, so for the type alias here, you, the spinner, the spinner example, let's say that you didn't want to, like, let's say you had this vendetta against the word spinner, uh, like I do. And, I never wanted to use the word spinner in my code again. Could I just type alias at somewhere and use something else? So yeah, technically you can type alias and that's the thing, right? But there's actually this other concept which works better. So you shouldn't actually use type alias for this. You should use import aliases for this. Ah, yes. Yeah, which, and by the way, I have you to thank for this because uh, when I sent you the first version of uh, this blog post, you also mentioned to me a very useful Another extremely critical case for import aliases, which we'll get to in a second. But basically, if you're trying to type alias dropdown view is equal to spinner, which is like you know what you usually would do, you shouldn't probably do that. Instead, you should use import alias. And the API is actually a little different from type alias. Uh, it's basically import, like you know, just as you would. Yeah, your regular import a regular, statement. A regular import statement, but at the end you basically add as, so like as. And you write the opposite. So if you take dropdown view to be the type alias for spinner, and you want to change that to an import alias, you would do import, uh, you know, and Android widget spinner, blah blah blah, as dropdown view. So it's actually a pretty like elegant in uh, sort of syntax. And thereafter, you can pretty much just use it as a type. Like you don't actually have to use uh, a type alias in instead. So that's one. That's like the right way to use. Like if you're trying to do what uh, you know, which is just like a sort of renaming of the type, uh, import alias is a great way to do it. But like Don, maybe you should walk through this. There's also because you were the one who actually gave me the idea. There's also a very crucial reason we want to use import aliases, right? There's like a really powerful feature to use import alias. Can you walk us through that one? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I've run into this a number of times uh, at various clients. Uh, but you have a great example here of, that I'm, I'm going to reference. There's times inside of your application where you'll have a particular type, and let's say it's the Java util date, and then for whatever reason inside of your code, you need to reference the java.sql date. Well, if you notice, the types are both .date. So it's I'm going to kind of get dive into the code here. It's if I'm going to import it, I'm going to say import java.sql.date. And then if I need the util date, it's import java.util.date. Well, now I have, I'm using the same exact name for a, a type and the compiler is just gonna say, this is not going to work. It's gonna, you know, things are gonna get confusing. It's gonna blow up. So what we can do at that point is then we can then use an import alias and say, hey, if I'm gonna use a SQL date, I'll say import java.sql date as SQL date, so SQL date. And then for the util date, I'll do import java.util.date as java date. Now I can use both of these in my code and know exactly which one I'm using. And this happens for like this java date. It's happened to me many times if I'm working with protocol buffers and 
the protocol buffer file has like an, you know, let's say you have a customer class uh, inside of your Android application, but protocol buffer also has something called customer. Now, all of a sudden I have these conflicting names are the same. I'll rename one that's like proto customer and then the regular customer. So I know exactly which one I'm working with inside of my code. So the import alias helps immensely in that situation where you have this conflicting, you know, name resolution problem. Yeah, no, and that I, like that's the example you gave me, and like you know, I tried to attempt to explain that in the blog post, but then I was like, oh wait, like we might go into a bigger sort of discussion with Protobus, so I just picked the, this example, which is also like one that's common. But yep. I actually love that example because that happens pretty often, right? A lot of modern Android apps today, at least like you know, in some of the bigger companies, mm-hmm. they tend to use like you know Protobufs as the schema, and they generate code from those Protobufs, right? And yeah. This means you have sometimes less control, right? So like, you know, I've run into this problem bajillion times where you have the order object, right? You know, you generate order and then it's like order, but then you probably already have like two other orders, right? Or even if you have like third-party libraries that decide like they, you know, if they haven't thought through the situation and they use a common enough name, and then that's already used either in your protobuf or it's used in your local Android app altogether, you are in like for a world of like naming conflict, right? And that had that that's not even like a contrived case. That happens pretty often, especially like in protobuf land. So mm-hmm. um so in those cases, import aliases are like a godsend, you know. And a good question to ask, I didn't put this in the blog post, but like, you know, it, in all of these, I kept asking myself, like, you know, okay, so if I didn't get to use Kotlin, like what the hell would I do? Like in Java land, right? And it's funny because it's been at least some time since you know, oh, I've written right, Java. Yeah. Me too. But the way you would do it is like you would actually use the fully qualified name, right? So you yep. wouldn't, it, it's such an, it's not necessarily as elegant, but it is possible. Like, you know, you would basically declare your variable not as date or like, you know, SQL date. You would basically say every single place, every time you use the date type, you would say java.sql.date, you know, and you would say java.util.date, you know, and you would have to use that multiple times to fully qualify this, right? So that's that's basically like another snippet, like for folks who are curious, like, yeah, you can still do these things in Java. It's just not as elegant. Yeah. So if you have to return that, like say you're using both those dates inside of a class and then you need to return, say two functions return a different date. One returns a util date, one returns a a, a um, SQL date. You know, you can import date, the regular date class once, but then the other ones you're gonna have to fully qualify. So if it one you're gonna import, say you import the util one and that one just that's the the word date you get to use all over. Mm-hmm. Now if you need to return that SQL date, if your function is going to return a SQL date, then you actually have to fully qualify that at the end. Like hey, I'm gonna return this full package name, SQL date, whatever. So crazy stuff, but hey, there's there's ways to work around it. But the next one that uh that you talk about here, actually both of these number four and five were ones that are really eye-opening to me. And number four, I didn't even have a clue about. So this one completely opened my eyes and that's the value class. So can you tell us about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one's actually, this is one of those uh, constructs that I was waiting for a long time, but I actually completely forgot, you know? So in my mind, I was like, wait, when did that get introduced? Like, I think it was at a point where I was like, ah, I'd forgotten that it was in a keep, like, you know, the K-E-E-P stage. Uh, But no, this thing is like live and possible. Like, so ever since Kotlin 1.5, you can use this concept 
called value classes. And for folks who have been like following like the development of like the evolution rather of the cartoon language, right? Like previously they used inline classes. I'm not going to, I actually think inline classes is a far more confusing name. So I'm just going to leave it at that. If you don't know what I'm talking about with inline classes, forget what I just said, because <laughs> it's actually like more confusing. Value class is a much, much better name, but maybe we should dive into like, okay, what exactly is a value class? And this, yeah, and this is probably better explained with an example, right? So yeah, your example was pretty good. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. So say you have like a function where you're trying to like authorize a user, right? So this function basically takes two parameters, right? It takes like a username and a password, right? In my blog post, I actually changed it from a string to int, and I can like that's again some inside baseball. I can tell you why I did that. But basically, uh, you know, say you have like a username string and a password string, right? You're taking it in your authorization function. It does some network call and basically returns a boolean value for whether you are authorized or not. So far, so good, excellent, right? When you're actually using this authorization function, you know, uh, and you you call it like auth yeah. Username comma password. That's how you call the yeah. function, right? If you call auth password comma username, there's nothing that on the, at the compiler stage. There's absolutely nothing that will stop you. Like you know, you you're just switching the parameter. Thing. You're just switching the parameters, right? Like moving yeah. one from position one to position two, and the the other one the other way. That's all you're doing, right? Exactly. Like literally, that's all I'm doing. I'm, if I change the order, like because they're the same type, that can get super confusing. Yeah. Because you'll run into a logical error. You won't run into like a compilation error, right? So you just switch the parameters. You won't know anything happened until you run your program and you realize you can never authorize because you're basically, you know, uh, you're switching parameters and, you know, other issues. So how do you solve this problem, right? Like this def there's, there's a few ways to solve this problem, right? Like one is, again, you could use type aliases, which like helps, right? So you could type, like we talked about before, you can use type alias for any type, right? So you could say, hey, type alias username is equal to string, type alias password is equal to string, right? And then you can say, okay, now value you username, declare it as a username and then use that. And that might sound like it would work, but you'd run into the exact same problem. Because again, type alias is like, you know, they don't magically declare a new type. They just literally are like sort of a pointer to an existing type, right? So if you use type aliases, it's not going to solve your problem. You, you can still switch the order of the parameters. You'll still run into like a logical error. The compiler won't complain. You'll still have a problem. So like, you know, without value classes, before we come to value classes, if you think about how you're solving this problem, you would use data classes, right? So you could use data class, which is a full-blown, hey, data class username, and it would take in a parameter for say your field like you know you could call it like string so data class username open brackets val string a val field string and every time you instead of passing in like in your auth function instead of passing in a string named a uh, username you know like a username parameter of type string you would instead send username of type you know your new data class that you created right because and now this is a new explicit type that's different from string or like int in my example 
and you won't have a compilation error. Uh, uh, sorry, you won't have a logical error. So now if you switch, so what this means is you will create a data class for username. You'd also create a data class for password. You know, they have backing internal fields, like which are of string type or whatever your type is. When you call your auth function now, you, you, you say, hey, I'm taking in two parameters. The first parameter is of type username. The second parameter is of type password. Now, if you switch the types, they actually are recognized as two different types, right? So you actually will run into a compilation error. And this is great. This is what we want. So we could end the story there and say, hey, I don't need value classes. This works. I'll just use data classes. That works great, yeah. right? So what do I need value classes? Yeah. So the problem, though, is this is actually an expensive problem. Like it's an exp creating data classes don't come for free. Like data class allocations are actually more expensive. Okay. Do explain. Do explain. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, this is one of those things with Kotlin, by the way. Like data classes are amazing, but we forget that, like, you know, data classes are not necessarily cheap. Like, again, I. I don't think we should go with the mindset that data classes are expensive, so we should be super selective and not use them. Like, no, no, you use these things, but understand that there's a cost because when you declare something to be a data class, it comes with a bunch of like super helpful utilities, right? Like you have a hash code equals mm -hmm. two string, uh, two string, and then you have like the uh, what is it, the component uh, destructuring yep. thing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the explosion where you can like like tease out the types, deconstruct the types. Thank you. Um, so that comes like with a cost, right? So data class allocations are expensive. That's like one reason. The other really interesting reason is if, and let's not, and this is why like, you know, this is the inside baseball story, why I, I actually changed my example from string to int, and I'll come back to string in a second. But say I had user ID as an integer and my pin code as an integer, right? And my auth function takes in two integer types and returns a Boolean. If I change this instead now to basically use a data to take into data class types, not integers, that allocation is way more expensive because primitives, primitive types, and like, you know, what do I mean by primitive types? Like, you know, I mean int, char, long, blah, 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 like, you know, the usual sort of primitive types. The memory allocation for primitive types actually take place at the stack level. So this goes into like, you know, our Java fundamentals. Like there's two kinds of memory allocation, the stack allocation, and then there's like a heap allocation. And in that blog post, I actually like, and this was, again, I have you to thank, because I just like basically mentioned that point and went on and you're like, hey, you should probably yeah. like qualify that and provide a link. So I actually do have a link to a blog post that tries to like talk about the difference. Uh, so there's a difference between stack allocation and heap allocation. and Every time you use a primitive, you actually use the stack for your memory allocation. But if you have a full-blown class object, then it actually is like what is used is instead the heap, right? And I, I don't think we're going to go into the exact details because, you know, how much more? Well, it's like, you know, you allocate both the address and the value. Like, yeah, you should read the blog post. It goes into the details. I don't want to like go into that just yet. But just know that- Yeah, it's not an interview. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, another block, another topic for another day. But um, basically, just remember that the allocation is far more expensive when you're not using a primitive primitive type and you're using a full blown class object. So that's where value classes come in. Value classes is a concept that was introduced in Kotlin, which basically says, "Hey, you can 
almost use this guy like a data class, right? So you the deck like it's almost exactly the same. Instead of data class uh, username or user ID with your backing field, you literally change that data into value. So you call it value class username or value class user ID, and you put your backing field as an integer. And magically, what happens here is when you declare the like parameters for your function, you're actually using this value class. So value class takes the best of both worlds. So if you have been following along with like the evolution of this example, right? We started with two primitive types. What we like about that is like the allocation piece because it's like cheap, right? What we like about the data class type is like, oh, it, it forces a type. And so it gives us that error, but it's expensive. Value classes takes the best of both worlds. So value class basically says, I am going to use this backing primitive field and the allocation, if you're using a primitive, is going to be allocated on the stack, not the heap. So it's cheap, right? So value classes are cheaper in terms of allocation. But I'm also going to give you the advantage of a type. So if you have a value class username, you know, with a backing field of a string and a value class password with a backing field of a string, you actually cannot interchange it. So in your function, if I change the order of the parameters, what tends to happen is it will throw a compilation error, even though the backing fields are primitives. So that's where value classes are like super beneficial. That's a super in-depth and interesting deep dive into this because I, like I said, I had no idea about any of this. I, I would have just used a data class. And to be honest, most of the time I would probably still use a data class. Um, but now I, I know this is there if this falls into one of those situations. And I think the user, like the authentication one is like the perfect example. If I'm going to fall into that situation, then the value class is perfect. And I think it's important that we also make it very clear here that we're not trying to discourage the use of data classes, not at all. Just be aware that there are, you know, nothing's free inside of programming. And I think uh, Chet Haas had a great talk or something on this on like the lazy keyword in Kotlin, like how much it does under the hood. Like it's not as lazy as you think or something like that. And it's like, it's really, it's a quite a deep dive. I'll have to add the, the link to the show notes for that. But like anything, there's just a cost associated with it and make sure that you're using the right tool for the right job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing too, by the way. Like if you don't decide tomorrow to go back and change every single data class to a no. class, like that is definitely not what we're suggesting. You know, like value class is pretty powerful. Use it when, you know, you run into this situation. But again, like, you know, along these same lines, a good question to ask is like, wait, why can't we just always use value classes? Can JetBrains not just change the language because value classes sound awesome, right? Like, why not make everything yeah. a value class? Why do we even need a data class? Well, again, value classes, you have to remember, is a very specific thing, right? You can only have like one backing field. You can't just replace data class with value class and have three fields inside, mm -hmm. you know? So value classes do have a limitation. Like, you can't just simply only use data classes and never use value classes. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, so that's one thing. And there's also like this like this mild annoyances, uh, annoyance, current temporary annoyance with value class. You have to use an annotation yeah. called JVM inline, you know, and again, I've added like a link. There is this project called Project Valhalla, which is a it, very dude. cool name. I, <laughs> I was like, wait, are they serious? Is it actually called Project Valhalla? I love it, but I'm like... <laughs> So uh, awesome. I know it's super awesome. When Project Valhalla, uh, you know, has taken its complete form, we no longer will need to use these JVM inline annotations. We can remove them. But until then, because you have to remember this uh, value classes were introduced in Kotlin 1.5. So you can totally use them today. You just mm -hmm. have to use this annotation JVM inline 
especially if you're targeting like you know the Kotlin JVM sort of uh, world. Yeah, super cool stuff. I mean, that one is. <laughs> when I read this post originally, I was like, "What is this value thing he's talking about?" And uh, learned a lot there, which kind of takes to the next one, which I also did not even know about, and that's data objects. What are data objects? That's number five here. Yeah, yeah. This is the last one. And this is actually the one that triggered like this me wanting to write this blog post because I think I actually saw the announcement for Kotlin 1.7.2, which is, I think, mm -hmm. as of this date, the latest uh, Kotlin uh, version. Well, actually, maybe 1.8 is out in alpha or something, but whatever. 1.7.2.0 is like a very new version of Kotlin. And that is where this was uh, added as experimental. And I think in 1.8, they're making it you know, finalized. Uh, so if you think about objects, right? Like uh, this is like literally just object, you know, say you have object X or object, you know, dog or cat. In Kotlin, that is the easiest way to declare a singleton object, right? So what's a singleton object? It means that there will only ever exist one version of this class in your, uh, one instance of this type that you have declared for your entire program, right? So that's what object is. A common annoyance that a lot of folks had, which is kind of ironical, is if you when you're debugging, and you know, typically when you're debugging any general class, right, and you just dump the class, it basically dumps the type as well as an address. I, it, it, I mean, again, like you know, I'm not going to go into the details, but like most folks will see like object A at four, five, seven, A, B, or some like address looking thing, right? Um, which is useful because if you basically have like you know multiple objects of the same type right sometimes what can and like you know i don't know if you ever run into this issue but in the early days like you know if you were if you're like moving you know in the days where like things were like mutable it can get pretty confusing because you're like wait which version of this object do i have like you know maybe i've not done my dependency injection correctly you know so in those cases when you dump the name of the object it's super useful to see the address because you could then say, wait a second, I passed in this version of the address and the address has changed or it's not changed. And, you know, that tends to be useful. This is not very useful for singletons, you know, like or for objects, because, I mean, the whole objective of this thing is there's only ever going to be one version of this object, right? I do not care about the address because, you know, who cares? It's only going to exist like as a single sort of instance in my entire program, right? Exactly, yeah. So it was kind of ironical because if you dump object names, it would function the same way as classes where it would also show the address. So if I have object dog and I print object dog, it'll say dog at address location 3554FB86, which is, yeah. And, and it actually gets like even like, yeah, it, it was pretty gnarly in terms of what would get output. So data objects are super simple. You have your object, just slap on the data keyword and when you basically print the object name, now what happens is it doesn't print the object address. It literally just says dog or cat. So it's just something very simple for you. Nice little, little yeah, yeah. clean implementation. Right, right, yeah. And I mean, like the interesting thing to think about here, right, like is, is if you step back, what's really happening is it's a better two-string implementation, like, you know, for your, like, and you rightly pointed this out. When we talked about data classes, like we said, hey, data classes come with a whole bunch of like functionality in, right? So it's very interesting because if you look at the keep discussion for this thing, there are people who like go back and forth and say, well, is data the right 
uh, keyword to use because with data classes, it comes with like four other things. And with objects, those things don't make sense. The only part that makes sense is the two-string implementation, right? But I mean, eventually, whatever, that's the name they chose. Uh, and so data object is what you slap on. And if you don't use data objects, the, like, you know, say, again, you had an object and the address really annoyed you and you didn't want to print the address when you were debugging this object, the way out was to basically override your toString. So if you had like your object and you inside your object overrode toString and then basically just dumped like, you know, the name of the object without the address, that was the workaround. Mm -hmm. So now you don't have that workaround. You just slap on data and you can remove all your toString implementations inside objects. So that's the background story behind that. This has been super like deep dive Kotlin stuff. It's been fun because I haven't kind of dove this deep into new language features in quite a while. So let's do a quick little recap of the the five different ones real quick, just so folks are familiar. So I'll kind of run down them. And if I miss anything, let me know. So number one, we have the uh, Fong interface, also known as SAM, which was the single abstract method. Then we talked on how that kind of varied differently with function types. And again, we're going to link this sh in the show notes. You can check out Kaushik's blog post has all this and detailed examples and code snippets and all that stuff. Number two, we have type aliases and how those are useful. Number three is import aliases, which we talked about kind of in depth and we, how much we love the spinner class and <laughs> stuff like that. Um, number four, value class. Uh, very interesting here. So I can actually save a little bit of you know, resources and allocation of memory and Hopefully we'll prevent some bugs as well. Um, data classes help there too, but there's different uses for different use cases. And number five is our nice little data object that we talked about there. So Kaushik, thanks for writing this blog post and you know hopping here on the podcast to discuss it. I think it's probably gonna be super useful to a lot of people that have no idea about these things and though people will learn a lot. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for reviewing the blog post because you, know, you definitely helped uh, add some of those details that I think were important for the blog post. So I appreciate that. And yeah. I'm, 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 yeah, I hope folks find this useful. And if, yeah, folks have other ideas, other concepts, you know, always let us know. This is the kind of stuff that Don and I love talking about in the podcast. We love diving deep into some of these things. Uh, let us know if you want to hear about other Kotlin concepts or other things, and, you know, we'll be glad to entertain. Definitely. If folks wanted to do that, though, Don, how do they reach out to you? Best way to reach out to me is probably going to be on Twitter or through uh, my website, and everything's just going to, be at, uh, at Don Felker or donfelker.com. And if folks want to reach out to you with any questions regarding this blog post, how can they get a hold of you, Kaushik? The best way is, again, Twitter, Kaushik Gopal. Uh, you know, I use Twitter, Instagram. That's the handle I try to grab in most places. So I should be reachable through that or just through my blog. Like, you know, that's I've been trying to like focus more on the blog, like, you know, write some of these posts. So yeah, folks should feel free to contact me through that. Thank you all for listening. Thanks, Don. This was fun. Uh, I'm going to, we should do this more often. So. Yeah, we should. <laughs> Thank you all for listening and we will catch you in the next episode. Once again, this episode is brought to you by AndroidJobs.io. Post a free job posting, sign up to get notified of those job postings. And you can also upgrade and make your job posting highlighted or pinned to the top or anything like that. And remember, all job postings are now 90 days long. So check it out, AndroidJobs.io. Thanks for listening.
That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.